0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh my God. I have a whole list of things that I'm going to talk about today. And we have an amazing treat, two treats. I actually have two interviews today that I want to share with you. But the first thing that we have to talk about is Game of Thrones. If you don't watch Game of Thrones or if you haven't watched the the latest episode, stop listening right now like fast forward to maybe like the next five minutes because us GOT people have to chat amongst ourselves. Sunday's episode, an amazing hour and change of television. It went off and and I sat there watching the credits roll and I was thinking to myself, what a time to be alive. My wifi in my building was down. I just come back from Arizona. The episode airs on the West Coast at 6 p.m. So, you know, sunshine and dragons. It's a weird thing. I'm still not used to it. I was in the air when it aired. So when I landed, I had to avoid all social media. I didn't check my text. I didn't check my emails. I didn't want any spoilers. And I managed to do that. No spoilers. I did, out of reflex, I just opened my Instagram page and I saw something like all praises due to Arya Stark. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. But that didn't spoil it for me because I had no idea how many praises were due. Like, that little chick, that's a bad bitch. And I say that with the utmost of respect. Like, ma'am, you did that shit. So my Wi-Fi was down at my building when I got home. And I was like, oh my God, I have to watch Game of Thrones. Like, I can't wait until whenever this Wi-Fi comes back up. So I was like, you know... Charge it to the game. I'm just going to have to watch it on my live stream on my iPhone 7. I watched that whole thing. Once the war got started with my mouth hanging open, I was in awe. Like amazing television. I did think it was a little dark, but I charged that to watching it on my iPhone. But then I watched it on my laptop. I didn't put my TV up yet. So I watched it on my laptop the next morning when the Wi-Fi came up. And I was like, oh, it is dark. And then I saw other people complaining about it. But that's the only complaint I had for the whole episode. That was good TV. Not TV. HBO. Man. I thought Winterfell was a wrap. Last week, I interviewed Damon Young from Very Smart Brothers. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that interview. Please do. It was really good. He predicted that the Night King was going to take the throne based off episode two. And I agreed. I I didn't want to, but I, I just assumed that no one could beat the Night King. Until like the final two minutes of that episode, Winterfell was getting slaughtered. The Dothraki wiped out in what, 60 seconds? A couple horses came back, like five men came running. Jorah, Who's in love with Danny? He went out and led the charge. I'm like, bro, how you came back when only five other people came back? You in front of the line. They slaughtered the Dothraki. I feel a little bit of a way about that. I went back recently and watched all of the all of Game of Thrones back to back. It took me about three weeks or so. If you watch this series back to back, you'll notice some some color problems in in the episode. Like there are some there's some real white savior issues with your girl Danny. I don't know how else it could have been written, though. The Dothraki are on the horses. The people with the horses go out first. This happens in every single land war that's been depicted on Game of Thrones. So I can't be mad at that. But just the, you know, as a person with melanin, I feel a way about all the melanin people being at the front of the line and being slaughtered. You thought about it. I know you did. It's not just me. But otherwise, some a good-ass TV. HBO. I can't wait till next week. Although, I'm kind of afraid of what's going to happen. I'm a little nervous about this war with Cersei, to be real with you. The people who are left standing, some soldiers in here, they, they fought. They bought that life. That army was devastated. They had all these people who were willing to fight the dead. They united. But I want to say half that army got taken out. Danny was counting on the Dothraki to fight Cersei's army. Ain't no more Dothraki. I'm just really not too sure what this army is looking like after that battle. Because Jamie and Brianne and all those people, they fought to the death, but them folks got to be tired. Now we're going to turn around and fight another war. We're going to march because ain't no buses and vans. I mean, it didn't go to war with Cersei. Fresh off that battle. By the grace of the seven gods, the god of light. Some hope, wishes, and prayer. And Arya Stark is the only reason they won. That was that was luck. That was God's grace. Now they're going to turn around and try to fight Cersei? I don't know about that one. We'll see. I'll be tuned in at 6 o'clock watching Game of Thrones while the sun is up. It's real funny in L.A. Like I'll be out and we'll cut my day short. and Be like, oh, okay, look at the time. It's 5 p.m. I got to head home to watch Game of Thrones. Your boy Idris Elba got married. Once the pictures from the wedding came out, I saw people posting memes of Vesta crying about congratulations. I thought it could have been me. You know I like to snark sometimes. I couldn't even. There's only like two or three pictures of him from the wedding. Only one where you can see his face that are circulating around the internet. I think Vogue has the exclusive rights to the photography, probably video too, from the wedding. Your boy looked like a whole snack. That suit was tailored. Is that Oswald Botang? Forgive me if I mispronounce the name. The man can tailor a goddamn suit and Idris Elba can wear one. That English gentleman can wear a suit. Mmm. Tux. It's a wedding. He looked good. And he looked happy. I couldn't even snark. He looked so happy that I was like, I can't even say anything sarcastic about this. I can't repost these, these Vesta memes. I can't even make a joke about it. Like people were asking me, they were like, you don't have anything to say about about Idris Elba getting married? And I was like, congratulations. No Vesta, just congratulations. Genuine. The man looks so happy. If your groom don't look like that when you walk down the aisle, turn around and go back. Tell everybody to go home. Or if he's not crying, I'll give you if he can't look like that because he got tears, he's falling apart. Turn around, go back, go back the other way. Sabrina looked great. Her dress was flawless. She was styled by Luxury Law. It just dawned on me, I don't know that man's real name. I follow him on Instagram. I did a show with him after the BET Awards a couple years ago, maybe 2014, 2015. Really nice guy. I, honest to God, do not know his real name though. I only know him by his Instagram handle. That's crazy. My bad. I say that, and I need to say that he's a really great stylist. He's probably best known for styling Ariana Grande, but he also styles Celine Dion, Tiffany Haddish, Zendaya, because she'll give you a look in a sleigh. He's the the mastermind behind that. He has a really good eye. My friend Worry Vice, also a stylist, he likes to say that there's a fine line between ornate and gaudy. Luxury Law knows how to give you ornate, but not gaudy. But she looked beautiful. I, I can't say anything hateful. Face was right. Hair was right. Dress was right. I can't wait to see the pictures in Vogue. I wonder if they would give them the cover. Maybe British Vogue. I mean, it is Idris Elba. I've seen some people snark about how this is his third marriage. The man likes marriage. I don't know what you want me to say. Sometimes folks don't get it right the first time. Hello! It might take one or two more times. I hope this one's the charm. Congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Idris Elba. I'm going to also add this. I'm glad she's black. Idris Elba couldn't have kept his fan base if he married a white woman, though. He got himself a young black girl. She might be 30 now. I think he's 46. A model. A big old booty. She cute. She cute. I can't be mad. And she genuinely seems to make him happy. It'd be a damn shame if Idris Elba got married again and was miserable. Sir, don't you dare take yourself off the market and be miserable somewhere. If you happy, I'm happy for you. Congratulations to the happy couple. Your girl, young Jordan Woods, is fucking up. You remember little Jordan? She's like twenty-one, and that's why I call her little Jordan. She was in the middle of that mess with Chloe and her child's father, Tristan. He hit on her. He kissed her. She had her feet all over him at some party. I don't know some stupid ish. Chloe accused her of ruining her family, and I'm like, no, your hoeing ass man ruined your family. The the Smiths, Jada and Will, are apparently close to Jordan and her family. Jordan and Jaden Smith grew up together in Calabasas. Y'all remember this. When she was in the middle of that scandal with the Kardashians, the Smiths came and rescued her and was like, Mm-mm, not this one. This one is ours. She is protected. Calm yourselves down, which the Kardashians promptly did. So little Jordan has been prospering. She went to speak on some panel in Nigeria for whatever unknown reason. She decides to get on this panel and tell the audience that this whole mess with the Kardashians was the first time she felt like a black woman. Girl, what? Now she's 21 and she was raised in a Calabasas bubble. So let me say this and offending folks without meaning to offend folks. Some LA black folk are weird. The black folk who were raised around other black folk are in close enough proximity To black folk still attended black functions, they're fine. But the ones who didn't get enough exposure to black culture be real interesting sometimes. Jordan strikes me as one of those. It's a dumb thing to say. Ain't no way around it. For the same folks that came to her aid and was like, leave this little girl alone because she's only 21. The little girl is still only 21. I feel like this isn't the end of her saying dumb shit. And we just going to have to listen to it for a while because she's got this major platform. But, sis, this is the misstep you needed to make. And black women, Jada, who's our auntie, because we love Jada, and Jada said you were cool, and then Chloe went next level, we were like, all right, let's come get little sis. We're going to ride for little sis. Like, she's, she's good. We're going to protect one of ours, right? You can't bite the hand that feeds you, baby girl. Black folks saved your ass. You got to embrace the folks that embrace you, sis. You can't be out here talking about, I just realized what it's like to be black. If you ain't part of the culture, if you don't get the culture, why are we defending you? Let's hope this is a mistake the young girl learns from. Speaking of family, the Obamas announced their new Netflix deal. You know how I feel about the Obamas. I call them mom and dad. They've been kind of low-key lately, so I haven't been doing updates on them. You're going to be mad at what I'm about to say. I don't love the new Netflix situation. The project that they announced, there were seven of them. Yeah, Nothing excited me. And I want to be excited. I'm going to try to give all of them a chance just to support the Obamas. But there's some show about a Chinese billionaire who operates a new factory in post-industrial Ohio made up of 2,000 blue-collar Americans. There's a culture clash between American and Chinese workers. It won an award at Sundance. That don't sound like nothing I want to watch, though. There's a show called Bloom, a fashion series set in New York that highlights the plight and triumphs of women and people of color Living in a post World War II world, maybe this fashion in people of color. There's a film about Frederick Douglass. There's something called Overlooked, a series that tells the stories of people whose deaths were not covered in the obituary column, but de- but their story deserves to be shared. Mm, maybe listen to your vegetables and eat your parents. It's a show for preschoolers. Mm. Crip Camp. A summer camp for disabled teenagers that will transform young lives. Mm. Fifth Risk. It's a series will highlight the heroes working behind the scenes in government who keep our nation safe. Mm. I don't know what I was expecting, because they've been talking about this deal for a long time, I just, mm, I'll give it a watch. I'll tell you that much. Just because the Obamas are behind it and consistently they put forth quality work. So I'll give it a shot and see what it is. I just, I'm just not excited. I wish I could be because I want to be excited about the Obamas. I want a project that I'm super in love with, but mm. last but not least, This situation with the high school principal down in Texas, Houston, the principal, a black woman, has issued a policy, a dress code, for parents of the students. She has banned the parents from wearing bonnets, pajamas, cleavage showing tops, leggings, do-rags, undershirts, i.e. wife beaters, couple other things. I think those are the the biggest ones. And people actually support it. I was shocked. I saw the news story come across my Facebook feed and I wrote up something and was like, this is ridiculous. Like this is clearly respectability politics. I get the stance on parents who are showing up with their body parts exposed. That makes sense to me. One of the items that I didn't just list was, was hot pants and Daisy Dukes. So no shorts with your cheeks hanging out. I totally get why the principal would be like, hey now, you can't come on the premises like that. That totally makes sense to me. But the other stuff, like the bonnet, the rollers, I wouldn't roll out like that. But I just think it's crazy to try to dictate to other adults how they can and cannot dress when they're not exposing themselves. Some folks say that's a low bar. And I was really shocked that most of my readers on Facebook Both Facebook pages, Twitter and Instagram were all like, nah, we need to raise the bar. The be happy parents show up is a low bar. People need better standards of decency. Our grandparents didn't dress like this. This is not acceptable. Absolutely. These parents need to do better. I was like, really? I feel like when Don Lemon was talking about people need to pick up trash and stop sagging their pants on the streets of Harlem, people were outraged. People were like, Don living in this bullshit, this this respectability politics. People were upset. When Bill Cosby was running around talking about pound cake and the way people name their children, people were like, oh, this is respectability politics. This is some bullshit. But now this teacher down in Houston is telling grown-ass people who don't attend her school, their children do, she's trying to tell them how they need to dress when they come up to the school for business. Or when they come to official school activities. That's not respectability politics now? Oh. So there was a lot of vigorous debate. I happen to have a few well-known educators in my friend circle. I don't work in the field of education. I didn't go to public high school. So I don't have on-the-ground experience there. I wanted to talk to people who had been in the classroom, who work with teachers, and get their insights on this topic. First up is Erica Buddington. She's currently the Chief Curriculum Officer at Langston League, a multi consultant curriculum firm. They specialize in teaching educators to design and implement culturally sustaining instructional material and professional development. Langston League's clients include Google Code Next, Achievement First Schools, Medgar Evers College Role Program, Up Academy, Because of Them We Can, and more. My other guest today is Dr. Ivory Tolson. He and I both used to write for The Root at the same time. He popped on my radar about 10 years ago. If you remember, there were all these stats about 42% of Black women never get married. He was the professor that debunked that statistic. He pointed out that, I want to say it was about 70% of Black women actually do get married. Black women tend to marry later than their counterparts. And for black women, the more educated you are, the more likely you are to be married. That is how Dr. Tolson popped on my radar. And throughout my run of knowing him, one of the things that I find best about him is he will run you some numbers. He will run you some receipts for the things that he puts forth. Everybody ain't able. I say that, and then I also read you his other professional accomplishments. He's a professor of counseling psychology at Howard University and editor-in-chief of the Journal of Negro Education. Previously, Dr. Tolson was appointed by President Barack Obama to devise national strategies to sustain and expand federal support for HBCUs as the executive director of the White House Initiative on Historically Backed Colleges and Universities. He also served as a senior research analyst for the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation and a contributing education editor for The Root, where he debunked some of the most pervasive myths about African-Americans in his Show Me the Numbers column. He also has a new book out called No BS, BS for Bad Stats. Here's the subtitle. Black people need people who believe in black people enough not to believe every bad thing they hear about black people. That's a mouthful. One of the chapters in that book is about how to engage Black parents in their children's education, which is how Dr. Tolson ended up here speaking with us today. But first up, I want to share with you a great conversation I had with Erica Buddington. I've been following you on Facebook for a very long time. You first popped on my radar when you were talking about your adventures in the classroom with one particular student who, you know, I and the rest of your readers, and you are kind of in love with like we love that kid you've moved on now but you were in the classroom for a while and how long were you teaching i've been teaching for 11 years and you're teaching what grades so middle and high school we were talking on facebook about this recent policy that has been enacted at a high school in houston the principal has banned certain clothing items bonnets pajamas ripped jeans leggings do rags for parents this is all your terrain. So what are your thoughts on on this new dress code for parents?
1: I think that it is extremely elitist. And I am very concerned about the conditioning of a lot of our experienced educators. I'm familiar with her work. I've seen her trajectory. And she does have amazing initiatives that she's rolled out in schools that she's been in prior to being at this high school. However, she does have this conditioning, clearly by her statements, that we are a monolith. Like we come into different spaces dressed in certain ways because we don't have an appreciation for, or we don't have um, an alignment with the respectability politics that she's internalized. It's frustrating because systemic racism does not care about how you dress. And we see that exemplified with so many people of color that have lost their lives, even when they are following quote unquote the rules. I hope that she would lean towards solutions because to me right now as she's being interviewed she seems very like gung-ho about like this is my policy and that's that i'm very concerned that she's not leaning into her community because she has one thousand eight hundred and fifty students and she quotes three anecdotal experiences of why she instituted this dress policy. That's less than one percent of your parent population. It immediately lets me know that she's conditioned to believe this stereotype about all of her parents, considering 43 percent of her scholars are black and 55 percent are Latino, like Latinx. Right. She's internalized. Oh, this is how parents are dressing. And so I need to institute this dress code. And she doesn't need it at all. These are one-off conversations that you can have if you deem something inappropriate with a co- with a parent. It saddens me because it will trickle down if it hasn't yet, um, and affect the kids, and affect their learning time, and affect their trajectory.
0: I've been listening to a lot of the naysayers just because it was so overwhelming, and I did ask myself, "Am I taking like the wrong stance here?" Like I always like to examine the other side. I've seen a lot of people say that. That the parents aren't showing pride in their appearance and that we've lowered the standards too far by allowing, again, bonnets, pajamas, brawless women, because that's the big scandal on earth, to, to come into a place of business such as school.
1: What do you say to that? I just, I just want to preface with the fact that I'm not pulling my information from my one or two school experiences. I own a consulting firm that's in several schools, and my network of educators is absolutely <laughs> Like, it's, it's huge. So I'm talking to teachers all the time, all over the nation, and the commentary is not, it's it's very anecdotal. You're getting these one-off stories about a parent that once came in, in their one to three years of teaching, and they decided, oh, I'm gonna take this stance. And it's usually from older black women, I'll be honest, <laughs> or older women that'll say, you know, um, I, I'm taking this stance because I've had this one experience where this parent walked in with fish and that stuff. And I'm just like, But you serve 1,000 kids or you serve 2,000 kids. And this one experience brought you to this place where you feel this dress code is necessary for every single parent that walks into your building, not knowing their context, not understanding why they've arrived in the attire that they have been. What I have to say to them is, one, you need to look at the numbers and then two, you need to look at the outcomes. What is happening as a result of instituting these dress codes or these uniformed items, right? What is happening? I, I literally got into an argument with a family member who is a teacher and educator because she saw me post the article and she's like, well, these parents need to um, cover themselves. And I'm like, can you give me an example? And she was able to give me one example and she's been in education for 31 years. We have to stop talking about these experiences with these small anecdotes because it glosses over the structural things that we really need to be rectifying in these schools. <laughs> There's so much more happening that we need to be rectifying and giving energy to.
0: So my next question seems sort of frivolous um, in light of this, but I just want to ask it just to just get it on the table. One of the core arguments that people make is say the parents that show up like this, the children are going to be ridiculed when other students see their parents dressed in inappropriate ways with a bonnet on per se.
1: There's a one off again, one off experience where a kid will say, oh, that's why your mom. Uh, right. That's not that. That really ever happens. And to be quite honest, when parents arrive at the school, especially this is a high school that we're talking about. Right. They're dropping off. They're picking up and they're only running in for emergency. Scholars are in class. Scholars are in lunch. They're not in the hallway or in the main office like, oh, that's such and such mom. They're doing the work. We're pulling that experience as well from these like viral memes we see or viral videos of mom sitting in the back of the classroom because she's frustrated with her scholar and she decided to follow him around. Or we're pulling that from this one moment we we saw a child being discriminated against because of their attire or their braids and mom decided to record it and then you see the comments of women saying, oh, you know, but look at how mom is is acting and dressed. And I'm like, but do you hear why she's upset? Because there is a racist policy that has been enacted where her child is going to school. I rarely ever see scholars making fun of other scholars like, oh, that's why your mom came this way. No. Again, we have to stop with the anecdotal experience and focus on the systemic racism that is happening in school. Instead of yeah. focusing on what
0: parents are wearing when they come to the school, what are the issues? What are the big issues in education right now? And talk to me like I'm slow. Like I, I don't know anything about what's going on in, in high schools or elementary schools. What do what do we need to be aware of for the people from the outside looking
1: in? I started out in a school that was heavy with the respectability politics. And people would stand on podiums, and this would be CEOs, principals, and they would talk about belts and saggy pants and 100% college graduation rates, but not talk about the disproportionate amount of opportunities there were for Black youth in the area, for Black youth in that space, right, there were no extracurricular activities, there wasn't access to the building when scholars really and truly needed access to the building. We should be talking about the severe budget cuts that are happening. Kids don't have the arts. They don't have access to technology. The suburban counterparts, they are accessing the tech pipeline faster because they are using the ed tech. They are using these different programs. The parks and rec budget is being cut. So we don't have recreational spaces for scholars in public schools. We've decided that that's not important. Play and joy is not important. Just teaching to the test is important. You have schools that are that have these ridiculous uniform policies, and it's really tiered. You have the uniform policies that require just a fifteen dollars shirt, um, but then you got to buy that shirt five times because we're not doing laundry every day. You have scholars that are losing class time over these uniforms or dress codes. I was in a school once where there was a kid every single day in the office, and I would walk in and ask the secretary. At the time, I'm like twenty three, didn't know any better, and I'm like why is this child in the office all day? Oh, he didn't wear the right shoes. Excuse me? So he can't come to class? No, it's the uniform policy. So it's like a in-school suspension until mom picks him up and, and until she can rectify this. There was one child in particular that lost four days of school. He had black sneakers, I think, and he didn't have black shoes. And mom was like, I can't get this for another two weeks. And so he sat in that office for two weeks working on like puzzle worksheets and not in class because this Administrator deemed it necessary to make an example out of him. And this is anecdotal. When I'm, I'm talking to hundreds of teachers across the nation and I tell them this story, and they say to me, Oh my God, that's happening at my school. It's no longer just a story, it's a trend. There's data there. There are large percentages of scholars losing class time. Um, And it's disproportionate because if you look at the white counterparts that are committing the same offenses, they're not even being called on it. There's there's no punishment for breaking dress code. I park in front of a private school in Brooklyn every single day and I see the scholars walk out there wearing what they want. And I'm like, I'm so curious about their dress code. And I Google the dress code and it's like, come as you are. Just don't wear anything. You don't want to get dirty because here we have fun. And it breaks my heart that our scholars are not given that same freedom of expression. What dress code, if any, do
0: you think is appropriate for students or even parents?
1: When you're designing anything, you need to start with empathy. The people that you're serving need to be your co-designers. I love how folks come into a, a space and they say, you know, this space needs a community center, but nobody asked the residents if they wanted a community center. Nobody asked the residents. First thing that needs to happen is you need to sit down and design this dress code with your scholars because scholars will tell you amazing things. The National Women's Law Center, they did a study a while back and they had like, uh, scholars ages 16 to 21. Some scholars were graduated already, but they were reflecting on their experience in DC high schools. And they talked about what they would want to see in dress codes. And they said things like gender neutral uh, design, which, you know, a lot of people are not even thinking of. Maybe the girls want to wear the vest and the, the sweaters that are or blazers that are intended for the boys, but they want to wear them as well. And 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 when you have these scholars create this, Right, they're adhering to it differently because they have an investment because they helped design it. And then there is just, just no dress code because, as I said, this is really based in these like anecdote, these anecdotes and these one-offs. Where I I've been a dean at one point and I had a mama come in with a see-through shirt. Everything was out. I pulled out to I said, Hey, girl, and we had a whole conversation. I'm familiar with my community and I didn't even really have to say it to her. I just kind of like imply, and she was like, Oh. I wouldn't even, you know, I ran out the house this morning and I got all the contacts and I was like, okay, cool. And I was a dean at that school for the next well, two years and literally I never saw her dressed in that shirt again. She was fine. Just a one-off conversation, not an embarrassment of like instituting a whole policy and basically saying to the 99% of parents that arrive and drop their kids off every day, like this is what you can and cannot wear. It's ridiculous.
0: Hopefully we can sway some minds with this, with this dialogue.
1: For us, black excellence aligns with black elitism a lot of times in most of our community. And the reality is black excellence is being equally proud of the mom in college, like as you are the mom who is arriving in a bonnet to enroll her son in school. They're both doing things to, to, you know, for our progression, being black and alive in a space that is not designed for you to survive is black excellence. And we have to stop equating excellence to this white gaze, respectability politics. Thank you so much for being here today.
0: I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. All right. You too. Talk soon. I told you she was awesome, right? Next up, we have Dr. Ivory Tolson. I've already run you his bio. He's a great friend of mine. And as you'll see, he's an amazing thinker. Hello.
2: Hi. Hey, how are you?
0: you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to this. This topic (laughs) <laughs> just exploded i want yeah. to explore what's going on here because this high school <clears throat> principal and these rules have have brought out i think the worst in some people
2: yeah yeah uh, so do i and i i was a little surprised by it even though you know these things shouldn't surprise me that much anymore because i've i've seen so much i, I wrote a book called no bs uh bs for bad stats uh, and the subtitle is Black People Need People Who Believe in Black People Enough Not to Believe Every Bad Thing They Hear About Black People. In that book, I have a chapter called uh, Believing in Black Parents. It's, it's based on a lot of the work that I've done with school districts on topics uh, such as parent engagement. And there's been a couple of articles I've written prior, um, two for the root, uh, one research publication, where I look where I look at you know, statistically, what increases it increases your odds of having parents show up uh, and participate in their child's education. Uh, and I, I talk about you know some of the things that schools could do to create a more welcoming environment for parents. A lot of people talk about standards when when they try to validate the principal's decision, but it really is a double standard. It's not it's not standards. It's a laissez-faire type attitude that a lot of white institutions have. And this strict disciplinary process that really dates back to the days of Joe Clark and Lean and Me and the idea that a principal needs to walk down the halls with a bat and really beat people in line in order for us to achieve. Uh, but I, I do think it, it connects to a larger narrative that black people, black students in particular, uh, but black people need a little bit more discipline and oversight in order for us to achieve our goals.
0: Okay, so break down for me what this double standard is exactly, because part of it feels like you have to be twice as good to get half as far. But it also feels weird to me because this criticism is coming from other Black people.
2: Most of the the validation or the support uh, for this policy has come from from Black people. And, and I think on, on one hand, we do have this Black tax uh, that everyone is aware of. And there's, there's this idea that uh, you have to be 10 times better as a black person in order to achieve the same goal. And I think most of us uh, agree with that. Most black people of, of conscious uh, agree that we are held to your to standard. There's different ways that people respond to that. Some people respond to it by saying it is what it is. And so let's just try to be better. And then other people respond by saying, well, there shouldn't be this double standard. So I'm going to fight against the system so that everybody will have a fair shot. And and I think it's it's important for us to also know that because of these inequities in society, simply wearing the right clothes is not going to make a white person hire you over another white person who's dressed similar to you or even worse than you. To simply say that we have to do these very superficial things in order to gain acceptability— I think it doesn't comport with reality.
0: When you're talking about like hair rollers and bonnets and satin caps and house shoes, there is a stereotype, if I can, yes. come that comes to mind for women and men, guys walking around. And, you know, the principal said undershirts, but wife beaters is more likely mm-hmm. what she meant. There's right. a stereotype that's associated with that. And I find that. Most of my following is what would be called middle class, where mostly with degrees, if not double degrees. And mm-hmm. they have a very harsh reaction to the quote unquote kinds of people that the principal is trying to enforce a dress code for. What is that about?
2: I think it is a class issue. What I described in, in the, one of my earliest works, uh, Black Sheep, which is a novel that I wrote over 10 years ago now, uh, but I called it that ugly off print. A lot of middle class black people, they feel like or we feel like we've worked so hard to gain this level of respectability. But if somebody else comes around that looks like you, but they're dressed in what you might consider the worst stereotype of yourself, they embarrass you. And a lot of times we try to make it seem like we're concerned about them. But I think most of the time it's it's a, a selfish reason that we have such disdain for this type of look. We think it's an off-print of who we are, and if other people, and a lot of times other people, meaning white people, see them, that's going to reflect the way that they see us. If it's if it really is about caring, you know, if we if you genu- genuinely care about this person and, and you believe that this person is limiting themselves from certain opportunities by the way that they look, I think there's a certain way that you respond to that or or a certain way that you address that that's very different than what we see. If you genuinely care about them and and you're not really thinking about yourself and your own self-interest, you'll talk to that person in a very civil way. You'll find out the reasons, you'll... Um, You know, maybe do an assessment of whether or not there's a lot of responsibilities going on, whether some of the things that they think about what they're wearing, whether some of the things that they might want to achieve and try to make sure that they understand that there may be consequences for them, not for you, but for them. And if they don't care about that, then you shouldn't care about that either. But that's how you would deal with a situation where you care about that person. And it's not just a selfish motive of saying, I need them to look better, so that I can look better, or even we can look better as race.
0: Do you think that there's a difference between parents who show up in, I don't know, bonnets and house shoes versus parents who show up in, I don't know, stereotypical business attire?
2: Uh, well, you know, I, I've done a lot of workshops with teachers and educators about parent engagement. And I talk about the bias that, that I know exists, and, and and they know that it exists too. In order to be a teacher in this nation, you have to have a bachelor's degree. That's a, the minimum standard. And so someone with a bachelor's degree is more educated than the general, general population. If you're a black person with a bachelor's degree, you're more educated than about 70%. Of other black people out there. You're working with people who haven't learned the same things as you, uh, both in terms of academics and certain life lessons that you may get when you're at a school and you have internships and you have professors telling you how to dress and, and how to look. Teachers, by and large, they know how to communicate. Their comfort zone is communicating more with parents that look and sound like them and that uh, can relate to them more like their peers relate to them. They don't respond well to parents who don't really can't really art- articulate why education might be important and what their child might get if they got a college degree, something that they didn't do when when they when they try to just impose a certain look, it is a, a, a imposition on, the person that they're imposing it upon because they're not really, they they don't have the type of lifestyle at that point where dressing in business attire is really going to do anything for them. You know, going back to the original question, is there a difference? There is a difference. It doesn't have merit and it's more to do with biases that teachers have rather than anything that's going to necessarily hurt their child in the long run.
0: So I have... Plenty of friends who are educators, mostly um, high school teachers, middle school teachers. I've listened to them complain for years about the lack of parent engagement. Parents who don't show up for the kids. uh, You hold a parent-teacher conference for a class of 30 and three parents show up. And so part of this policy strikes me as almost like how we do single mothers. It's like we blame the people who are showing up. Mm -hmm. And it's like these parents are showing up like the other parents, you don't know what they're wearing because they're not there. But the parents who are showing up, you're holding them to it's almost like you're what's the word punishing them in some way Mm -hmm. or judging them when they're just trying to show up and parent their kid or do something for their kid, be present for their Mm -hmm. kid the best way they know how.
2: Yeah, and I I see the same thing. And and I, I think that a lot of times their definition of showing up is showing up the way that they want them to show up, which goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of them preferring the culturally middle-class parent to the, the poor parent. And so for a lot of these teachers, a parent showing up with rollers on or with their pants sagging down or, you know, whatever they don't like to see, it's almost akin to not showing up at all. It fits into that larger narrative for them. This high school has over a thousand students. That means there are over a 1,000 parents, maybe up to 2,000 parents. And you just can't tell me that that many parents, there's not some great parents in there. But that gets lost in the narrative when you're dedicating your time and writing entire policies to deal with a handful. And and I, I would go off on a limb and say it's probably... You know, if it's 10%, you know, it might be 100 parents, that's 10%, but that's still relatively a small number in the grand scheme of things, when they could be cultivating the parents that care, and they could be showing some of the parents that are working hard as shining examples of what parenting looks like, uh, particularly parenting in circumstances that may not be easy. You know, our educators, uh, particularly our Black educators, we need to do a much better job
0: I feel like all the black educators that listen to this are going to be mad at me for or be mad at us for this conversation right now.
2: I understand that they have a very difficult job. And I know there are teachers who agree with what we're saying right now. I know them. Teachers who who are listening and you have that impulse to, you know, just really listen to listen with disdain to what we're saying. You know, at the end of the day, we want a better circumstance for our teachers, especially our black teachers and I understand that our teachers are underpaid, they're overworked, they, they have these standards in, in place, you know, like testing, and, you know, some of the teachers that care the most about these children are the ones that are being appreciated the least. I understand, and I know you understand these challenges that we're up against because of these larger forces. We really need to, to look at the big picture, and, the, you know, parents are tired that's a, a small issue at the end of the day. The bigger issue is getting you paid for the the work that you're doing, appreciating the things that really make a difference in these children's lives. Those are the, those are the big things. And and we're all willing to, to fight for those for those causes.
0: Do you think that schools do have a place in raising and teaching parents as well as the students?
2: Schools need to have a good relationship with parents. They also need to understand that parents are a diverse group and they're growing in different ways. We can't force them to do anything. Even people who disagree with us in terms of how important attire is, we should all agree that the process that they went about doing this at this, at this Houston school was very flawed and that you had a, a, a principal laying out this draconian type edict uh, that was clearly targeting women over men and poor people over, you know, middle class or upper middle class hipster types. It was done in a way that didn't engage parents. You may have some of those a thousand parents, they might have agreed with that policy. But, you know, and there might be some teachers that agree or disagree, but build up your, your PTA first have a committee of parents and teachers that talk about these issues. And the policy should come from them. We, we can't have dictators in our predominantly black and brown schools and this democratic, diplomatic process as predominantly white schools. Because what we're doing is we're not, we're not setting our children up, are their parents, for leadership and really thinking about uh, some of these issues. We're setting them up uh, just to be these types of minions of society that, to be candid, that's what white people want from us.
0: That's a perfect lead into to my next question. Can you ever see this sort of policy being enacted at a white school? I'm looking at the some of the things on the list, like to say no leggings, that's mm. like the standard attire of suburban right. yoga moms. Or the idea of no pajamas. I went to University of Maryland and NYU, and I'm listening to all these people Mm -hmm. say that school is a business. And I'm like, surely we would argue college is a business. Several of my classmates showed up in pajamas every day and no one cared. It was just like, are you here? It just seems very odd to me that, that, like you said, that black schools are taking these sort of or some black schools are taking these draconian mm-hmm. um, policies, whereas white schools don't really care about the attire at all, or the, especially of the parents.
2: Yeah, 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 there, there's a bigger picture here. And it, it, it is hard for me to imagine that they would enact this policy. Um, and they certainly wouldn't have done it in the way that they did it. Uh, the way that they that they did it at this Houston school was very paternalistic in and of itself. Uh, it was this idea that I'm a principal, uh, you know, I have you know, a six-figure salary, uh, and I know more than you, uh, almost I'm better than you. And so I can just hand this down and tell you what to do. Uh, whereas if you're at a school and most of your parents are making six figures themselves, then you're not going to treat them the same way. You're just not. Uh, and, and, you know, there are some schools where most of the parents are millionaires and you clearly see a difference in the way that they treat parents. I mean, those parents can basically ask for anything, do anything, and nobody really talks to them in the, you know, in, in that type of way. So we do need to, to, to check ourselves the way that we, we treat poor parents, you know, poor parents, have the right to speak for themselves. They have a right as a parenting organization, as a body of a a thousand parents strong to say what they consider appropriate and inappropriate attire is. And it shouldn't be uh, this upper middle class principle uh, treating them like their kids.
0: Do you think that this is a slippery slope? And I ask that because we've seen policies and you know all sorts of different um, aspects aspects of the culture where locked hair is an issue, colored hair is an issue, natural hair is an issue. I just kind of think that this this policy for this Houston High School is just the beginning of sliding into mm-hmm. something deeper.
2: We've seen iterations of this type of policy uh, in a lot of different circumstances. I just think that black people can do better than that. You know, we can appreciate each other more. You know, we need to respect audacity a little bit more. You know, I mean the the woman that came in her pajamas and the bonnet, yeah, she had audacity. But that audacity comes from somewhere. And I think channeled appropriately You can use that audacity. She had the audacity to come to the school in that Marilyn Monroe top and her bonnet, and they handed down this policy. And then, uh, you know, from what I've been told, she had the audacity to go to the media. I think that there's there's something to this woman that could be used effectively in the school. I, I think that if we understood them better and we appreciated them more than trying to make them like us, And to understand that, you know, some people who have to look a certain way because their jobs might depend on it and other people who could be as audacious as they want to be and look however the F they please, I think that we could do a whole lot more together than separating ourselves and looking down on the other person.
0: I still want to know if her daughter was enrolled in school, because I feel like that's what's been lost in all this. Like this woman showed yeah. up to enroll her kid. Like, did the baby ever get enrolled? Is she currently, <laughs> right. he or she currently attending classes? That's what I'd like to know.
2: I'm glad you brought that up, because uh, that's certainly somewhere where we should be focused on, focus our attention on.
0: Yeah, that's what really matters in all of this. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with yeah, us today.
2: Yeah, thank you. I'm glad, glad we got a chance to talk. Yes. it's been a, It's been a while since we've talked.
0: Did either of them sway your opinion, change your mind about anything? That is this week's podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Not so sure about the week after that, but next week we will be back as promised. If you need more ratchet and respectable in your life before the next podcast, you can always follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. If you liked what you heard today, leave me some good stars, leave me a couple comments, send me an email or a DM or leave a message on my blog. Sometimes I feel like I'm speaking out into the ether and I'm like, is anyone listening? I see the numbers, so I know that you are, but I don't always know what you're thinking or what you're feeling about what you heard. So I would like to know, good, bad, or indifferent. If you don't like it, let me know. That's fine. But don't like leave a bad review. That's mean. I'm open for civil discourse. I'm open for alternative points of view. We're all adults. We can have respectful conversation. We don't always have to agree, but we do always need to respect one another. That said, thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye.